Well, I hope where you're at, it is a beautiful day. Where I'm at and where I'm recording this podcast, is a, it's a beautiful sunny morning. And I um, want to take a look at a scripture this morning, starting in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. And again, to all our listeners, welcome to The Daily Answer. I'm your host, Mark Dunnigan. The scripture will be 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, that is, he, Jesus came to this earth and assumed human form, and in that body he felt everything that we would feel in that body when he was crucified and scourged and when he was hungry, etc. Same level of pain that any, that any human being would experience. He, he suffered in the flesh. It says, and, and a good deal of that suffering in the flesh was to opposition, persecution, particularly those that killed him. It says, arm yourself. I like the idea of like mentally prepare yourself, equip yourself, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Could we say the same mindset, the same overall goal is that I'm going to do what is right, no matter how much pushback I get or receive. I'm going to follow God, even if it costs me my life. Even if I lose friends and I'm not popular and I lose my job, whatever it may be, that would all be suffering in the flesh. Even if I lose family members, even if the members of my household become my enemies, I am still going to follow Christ. Because, and of course that was, that was Jesus's purpose. I came here, I came to do the will of God, my will, not uh God's will, not my will be done because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Uh, now that does not mean like, Hey, uh, the way, the way to, uh, fix all your temptations is to like have cancer or something. That's not what we're talking about here. The suffering in the flesh here is to suffer for righteousness. That's the context going back to the previous chapter to suffer for doing the will of God, to be persecuted, okay? And I think this is the idea. The idea is that if you, when you reach the area, when you reach the level in your life that you say, um, God's first, and I really don't care how much flack or fallout I get, I'm going to serve God first. And when you start living that way, and when you're willing to lose friendships, but God is first. When you're willing to be unpopular, but God is first. When you're willing to be attacked and ridiculed, but God is first. Basically, you've won. You've won the battle with temptation. Satan has a difficult time tempting anyone with that sort of mindset. You've, you've matured. You've grown up. You're definitely, you have the mind of Christ now. It, now, it doesn't mean that you never sin from that point on. But I think what it means is that sin's dominion uh, really has lost its grip on you. Um, with that determination to follow Christ, um, really no sinful addiction can, can keep you when that is your determination. And so... 
that's I guess that would be one of the positive encouraging things about that if you're persecuted, maybe one reason why Jesus and the writers of the New Testament will say, hey, if you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Because that's a huge step. That says a lot about you. That says you're the real deal and that you cannot be bought, can't be tempted. You are an incredibly mature person. You know who you are. Man, that's success. So if this week, if you suffered some sort of persecution because of your faith, you're blessed. Uh, Peter will talk about a little bit later that like the spirit of glory rests upon you. Yeah, you're, you're exactly where you need to be. You're one of those in whom the world is not worthy. So as to live the rest of your time in the flesh, the rest of your time here on the earth, rest of your time in the body, no longer for the lusts of men. I like it. It calls it what it is. Isn't it interesting that basically we only have two choices in life. We either live for God or for the lusts of men. Now, when we're non-Christian, we might want to call it something other than the lusts of men because that's not a good look. But really, that's what it is. It's how many people out there are living for power, money, prestige, popularity, instant gratification, mere physical pleasure, physical rewards. That's the lust of men, what men consider important. And notice it doesn't say your lust. Certainly they become your lust. But you're not born into this world with a set of, okay, these are the things that you're just born with this load of things. It's whatever lusts, whatever things that are sinful that you start to find attractive, you've created an appetite for those things. They're not inherently built into you. No one's born into, no one's born into this world, a child molester from day one. That is something that a person develops. That's an appetite they create. In fact, a number of them, a number of people that have gone down that path have admitted that. Here's how it started. They weren't born that way, but here's how it started as they started to move into the world of darkness and moved further and further, deep, more deeper levels of depravity. That's where they ended up. And many have admitted that that that's the course. Then it says, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient. I really love that. Whatever time you've spent in sin, plenty of time. You don't owe the devil anything else. You don't owe him any more allegiance. Like, eh, my time's not quite up yet. Okay. Then it says, to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. When you're living in the world, you're living like a pagan, like a heathen. And there's nothing proud about that. There's nothing you should boast in about that. That is not a good life. It says, having pursued a course. It's interesting. It's pretty hard just to dabble in sin. It's typically a course. Um, and, it, and you typically, one sin involves another sin. And one lie involves another lie. And one false doctrine leads to another false doctrine. And one bit of darkness includes another bit of darkness. That is, it's a course. 
the idea that we'll only have one vice, no. If you are in sin, there's multiple things going on there. It's just not like I got one problem. And so he says the course here is lust and it's drunkenness, which is a progressive state. It's not just down in the gutter, passed out. It is, it, it's something that starts with your first drink. It is a progressive state. That's the, the way the Bible describes it, Ephesians 5.18. Carousing and drinking parties. And these are all things that go together along with the idolatry. Because a lot of the carousing and the drinking party and the drunkenness centered around false worship. Yeah. It's a little bit like that today. How many bars people go and drink, and it's kind of a false worship of sports and pop culture, which is not the most important thing in the world. Then it says, in all this, in all this carousing, they, they would be like your former drinking buddies who still are drinking, but you're not anymore. They are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. Okay, so you become a Christian. And so here we have people that here had been their pattern of life, getting drunk every weekend or maybe even every day, but this has been their pattern of life, just living for self. These people became Christians. Number one, don't say you can't change. Don't say that you're too hard-boiled in sin to change. You're too depraved to change. Too old, crusty, and too hard-boiled in your habits to change. Here are people that have been pretty much right up to the neck and above in sin and living it up. And they had changed. In fact, they had stopped doing this. They had cold turkeyed it. Okay, so you can change, you can change dramatically, you can change quickly. It didn't, it didn't take decades for these people to give these things up, all right? But notice what happens. So here's all their former drinking companions. Here's the people they, they used to crowds with. And instead of these people saying, you know, I'm grateful you got out of this mess. I'm still here but I'm grateful at least somebody is winning. I'm grateful at least somebody is seeking to live responsibly. That's not the attitude. They are not glad that you escaped. In fact, they're rather angry. They malign you. Oh, Mr. Goody Two Shoes or whatever, you know, like uh, whatever the, this is just a phase or um, he was never one of us to begin with. Okay, all right. But notice the word surprise. That's what really caught my attention here is that they're rather shocked by your moral behavior, your self-restraint. And here's the thing. When you're in the darkness, you have definite blind spots. And one of the things that you have a hard time comprehending when you're in the darkness or one of the things where the darkness will seek to make you dumb is that you don't get self-control or what we might say doing hard things. You don't understand, well, well, why would someone not drink? Well, why would someone not get drunk tonight when it's there, when it's successful, when you can afford it? Well, why would you not sleep with that woman tonight when she's, or, or man, when they uh, are agreeable? 
why would you not take advantage of that situation? Why would you just not not, why would you not grab everything that you can grab in life for yourself? Why would you not do that? And when you're in sin, you have a hard time understanding. Why wouldn't you drink right now? Why wouldn't you anesthetize yourself? Well, why wouldn't you let your hair down? And they don't understand like, okay, but that's only creating problems for you. It's not solving any problems. It's only making you a more dark and selfish individual. It's only delaying the inevitable. You're not growing. You're not maturing. You're not learning anything. Uh, and you're completely unprepared for the hard stuff that's going to come up in life. And you're ignoring reality. They're surprised. They're shocked. Huh. Well, why did they give it up? And that kind of tells me that, see, that's why I don't really believe the people in the darkness. And I was in the darkness. And I would have told people, you know, don't believe me. Don't believe that guy that was off in the darkness. He didn't know what he was talking about. Because you, you're not thinking straight when you're in the darkness. You're deceived in the darkness. Got your eyes blinded in the darkness. And the Bible often makes that point. Not only that, but I think just reality, the eye test of reality says that. That when you look at the people that are living like verse 3, I think hopefully even maybe non-Christians that are not living that way, but are still not saved, would say, well, that's not working. You know, that's not a good idea. And so then it says, but they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. I like the word ready. Yes, judgment day has not happened yet, not because God has lost his resolve, but Second Peter 3, 9 would say, it's because God is merciful, given us time, not wanting you to end up lost or me or the people out there. He cares about them. So try to reach them. But the word ready, the word ready basically says, but everything's in place for judgment. Um, it's not that God says, okay, well, wait a minute. We need to put things together here and get some more tables and chairs and, you know, that type of thing. It's that God is actually ready to judge at this very moment. If it doesn't happen at this very moment, it simply means that, well, we're going to be more patient. We're, we're going to extend the, the line of mercy. But other than that, <laughs> He doesn't have to gather any information on you. He has it all. He knows exactly everything you've done, whether you're lost or saved. He's ready. Question is, are you ready? Are you ready to face him? Then it's, and so these people that malign you, they're, you're not the one in trouble. They're the one in trouble because they're going to have to answer to, well, your father. And they've been falsely accusing you. And God takes that very personally. They will give an account. Wow. They're going to have to answer for what they've done. Give an account. They're going to have to explain, well, why did you not believe? Why did the universe did not convince you that there's a God? Romans 1.20. Why did you not take the time to read the Bible? Why is it that you couldn't find that Jesus' death for you wasn't that compelling? You're going to have to give an account. Why did you decide just to live for so? And the truth is going to come out. 
not the fake reason, not the reason that you kind of manufacture that makes you look good and makes God look bad, but the real reason. This is Mark Dunnigan for The Daily Answer. Today's reason to become a Christian is that no longer do you have blind spots in your life. Till next time, see in the funny papers, my friend.